This week's episode of This Podcast Is Not Yet Rated is brought to you by Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, it's something that I feel like I use almost daily. That might be why I have no money left in my bank account, but Amazon Prime is great. Uh, It comes with free two-day shipping. It comes with tens of thousands of television movies that you can stream for free. It comes with a bunch of free music as well. Uh, And then Jenny's favorite aspect of it, the Kindle Lending Library, uh, which uh, is really convenient, I hear. Yeah, I'm currently rereading the first Harry Potter book. I mean, uh, that's all no... thanks to the London Library. Yeah, that's uh, that is never a bad thing. So, uh, because our episode is sponsored by Amazon, if you go through our website, there's going to be a nice little link there, uh, and you can click through that link to get a free 30 day free trial. That's a free 30-day free trial of Amazon Prime and all the great services that come with it. Uh, And uh, after that, it's only $99 a year. But try out the free trial. You get it free for 30 days, and if you don't like it, you don't need to keep it. But uh, try it out and let us know what you think. And with that, I'm Jenny Leffler. I'm Gavin Briscoe, and this podcast is not yet rated. everybody. Welcome back. This is our fourth episode back now. And uh, we're finally getting into the swing of things. Uh, Like we said last week, uh, this is going to be a bi-monthly podcast. That's how you say it, right? Bi-monthly means twice a week. Twice, twice, twice a month. month. Twice a right, month. Right, but that's what it means, right? <laughs> I think. Okay. Listeners it's either bi-monthly or bi-weekly. But we really mean, <laughs> despite the fact that we can't talk properly, what we really mean is that there will be two episodes a month. But we're just finding that there are so many great movies coming out uh, that this week, uh, last week, and uh, next week as well, uh, we're going to be re- we're going to be recording every week. And then uh, after next week, we'll be switching to every other week. So you're getting some bonus additions from us. Back-to-back-to-back episodes here. Exactly. And we got a really great show for you today because we're talking about John Crawley's Brooklyn, and we're also talking about Frederick Weissman's 40th documentary in Jackson Heights. Wow. Um, So we're talking about two really great films that we're excited to be talking about. And I I think it's just worth reiterating a little bit kind of what this new format is, Um, you know, because maybe it was a little bit confusing, uh, especially this week since we're breaking with our traditional (laughs) format. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to take two movies each week. Um, They could be both current releases. They could be both uh, classic films. They could be a current release and a classic film. Something that we feel would make a good double feature. Um, Something that, not even just a double feature like in you know, some hypothetical situation, like a double feature that you could actually, uh, you know, take your day to or like, you know, present to your parents or whatever um, mm-hmm. as like a good a good night or Saturday afternoon with some movies. Um, so that's, that's kind of what this show's about. Uh, we understand it's a little bit different than what we were doing in our previous iteration. Um, but uh, we... Uh, it's a bit of a rebirth. Yeah, it's a bit of a rebirth, and we think that this is this actually allows us to talk about the films on a deeper level uh, than we were able to before. Because um, now we're talking about each film for roughly half an hour, which is a pretty good... Versus, like, three hours for each film. Versus... <laughs> <laughs> or, well, no, the episodes were, like, three hours, but we were really only talking about the films for, like, 15 minutes. True, true. So, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the note about the new format. And obviously... Um, you know, it's, it's flexible. So right now, you know, we've been planning, uh, we've got the episodes planned through like February or March for right now. Uh, but those are always, uh, up to change. Uh, but really we want some, uh, suggestions and comments from you guys. If there are particular movies that you want to hear us talk about, um, 
that would be great because then we can try to incorporate it. Or if uh, you know that we're going to do a current release and... Uh, if you have a good idea for, like, more of a classic film that could pair well with it, like a fine Cabernet, you know, right. let us know. Yeah, <laughs> and Jenny's an alcoholic, so she it's knows perfect. all... Yeah, she knows all about it. Um so, yeah, and I also just wanted to give a quick note on our archive. I made mention of it last week. Uh, we are working on getting those episodes out. Um, basically, what we're going to be doing is they're going to be on a different section of our brand new website, which you should definitely check out. Um, they're going to be on a different section. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be included in the feed, but you'll definitely be able to re-download them. Um, but we're kind of, uh, we're working on remastering those and uh, getting them uh getting them uh, to uh, to a better place than they are right now because they're five or six years old. Maybe we'll uh, release them for a little TBT in the future. Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> just to make it easier on me, maybe one a week might be best. But yeah, so that's, uh, that's up with the archive. So Jenny, how can uh, people get a hold of us uh, if they want to? Well, if you have a good idea for some of our upcoming current releases for a good double feature, um, you can always tweet us. We're at still not rated, and we are still not rated. But uh, we also have our Facebook, which is facebook facebook.com slash uh, this podcast is not yet rated. Um, we also have our beautiful website, which is newly redesigned at this podcast is not yet rated.com, and you can message us on there as well. Or um, good old-fashioned email. This podcast is not yet rated at gmail.com. And now up for our first film, John Crowley's Brooklyn. Step over this way, please. Get out of the line. Next. Passport, please. Welcome to the United States, ma'am. Dear Rose, I miss you and mother and think about you every day. The most important news is that I have a job and I'm in a boarding house. I was glad to see you finally got some letters from home today. <laughs> I wish that I could stop feeling that I want to be an Irish girl in Ireland. Homesickness is like most sicknesses. It will pass. Would you dance for me? I'm not Irish. So what were you doing at an Irish dance? I really like Irish girls. I met somebody, an Italian fella. We're going to Coney Island at the weekend. But do you have a bathing costume? Why didn't you tell me to put my costume on underneath my clothes? I thought you'd know. Tell me. I want to ask you something, and you're going to say, oh, it's too soon. Will you come for dinner and meet my family? I'd love to. You like Italian food? I'm going to say splash anytime I see problems. Good idea. Splash! You just splashed his mother, his father, and the walls. Let's go again. Ready? I should say that. We don't like Irish people. Hey, hey. What? We don't. That is a well-known fact. Um. Ah. <laughs> it was sudden. I'm not a very hurt. You want to go home, I guess. How would it be for you if I did go home? I'd be afraid. Afraid that I wouldn't come back. Home is home. Ireland must seem very backward to you now. Is that Jim Farrell I saw? He's a catch for someone. I have a life halfway across the sea. Your life here could be just as good. If you go back, I have nobody. I want you to stay here with me. So Brooklyn, this uh, this was a beautiful movie. Premiered at Sundance um, to critical acclaim, and uh, it stars Saoirse Ronan. Which this is the correct pronunciation because we were so lucky to have her do a Q and A after the screening we saw, and it's Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, she's been <laughs> around for a while, but uh, I always get uh, messed up. Sayorzi is how We've it, it looks, it for but years yeah, like that. <laughs> but you know, you know her from movies like Atonement and Hannah, and like this girl's been around the block. 
you know. She, we've basically been watching And she's only her, 21. Yeah, we, we've been watching her grow up on film, and in so many ways, this movie is her own kind of coming-of-age story. Um, she herself said she went through some changes, and you kind of get to see that reflected on screen. She's now this young woman, um, and not so much a... Not so much the little girl you might remember her as in Atonement. Right. Causing all sorts of problems. Right. And I think that's... Um, before, before we get into the movie, I think we should I think we should say that uh, this is uh, adapted from a novel. Uh, the, the great Irish novelist, Colm Toybean, uh, who's... Uh, who's who's done a, a lot of great work if you've read it um i haven't read this particular book i know jenny it's on i it's now on my list yeah it's now on your list but... uh but it was adapted for the screen by the great nick hornby who of course did um high fidelity and uh an education uh last year's about wild a about a boy i mean the, the list goes on and on he's one of our great writers mm-hmm. um and uh, an education is actually that would have been a good double feature with this movie, um, but uh, I think in Jackson Heights will be a good one too. But um, yeah, so Nick Hornby did a terrific screenplay here, and I think this this story is very much an immigrant story. Mm-hmm. It's about a young girl who, well, she's not that young. She's you know well, she, she's an adolescent. She's, yeah. she's like seventeen, eighteen years old, and she's coming to Brooklyn from her town in Ireland and uh, basically to to live a better life and everything that comes with that. I think it I think it takes place in the 1950s. Um, and so there's you know there's still a lot of uh, racism and angst against uh, Irish Catholics um, at this time and just immigrants in general, I think. Um, so I guess Jenny, what what spoke to you about this movie? Because I do think that there are a lot of universal themes that this movie's tackling, even though it's about this, you know, young Irish immigrant, you know, immigrating to Brooklyn in the 1950s. I mean, you know, stepping aside from that, from the setting, the time and place, um, you have this girl going away from home for the first time, and I she's she's going through homesickness, being away from her family for the first time, um, basically becoming an adult and learning what that entails. She's falling in love, and it, it's all these sorts of big life changes that take place. You know, I guess at this at this time it was in her her teens, though some people go through this in their 20s, you know. Uh, but I think, honestly, I was watching this unfold on screen, and I was like, this could take place at any time, really. Granted, some of the communication challenges in the film would be a little different today. I could not help but relate to this throughout pretty much the whole film. I came to New York for the first, I guess, quite literally, it's a very similar relation. I moved out here to New York. Um, two and a half years ago now, uh, for the first time, really moving away from my family and my home, like a major move for the first time. Um, and I guess just kind of learning how to grapple with this new life and with all these changes and becoming an adult and what that means, not just like physically, like, oh, I am here now, but emotionally, like, what does this mean? How do you move forward? That kind of thing. Because you can't just get stuck in like, oh, well, my home is in Ireland or my home is in Wisconsin. You can't really get stuck with that because you are where you are now. And I guess that's how I kind of relate to that. But uh yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely like a really easy access point for most people, uh, because there is that time uh, in everybody's life, I think, where you have to move away from your home, even if it's just, you know, 15 minutes away, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's down the block, you're still moving away from home. Like you were saying, you know, emotionally, like you are growing up, you yourself are growing up and becoming a different person. But at the same time, your home is changing and it's becoming different. The definition of home becomes a bit different too, right. because there, there's a moment too where you see you do see it in the film. But um, 
both physically and you just feel it, it's changed. But she, I guess this is jumping a bit ahead in the story, but her definition of home, she doesn't think it's quite changed until she actually goes back to Ireland, her original home, and she realizes it can never be the same. Let's get into it a little bit. So, and then hopefully we can get to that point where she goes back. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Basically, at the beginning of the film, what I what I enjoy most about this film and uh, Nick Hornby's screenplay is that he doesn't waste time on things that a lot of similar movies might waste time on, mm-hmm. which is her story of coming to America. She gets to America within the first 10 minutes of this movie. Which, I mean, at first I was kind of like, well, that was pretty fast. You kind of skipped over the foreplay there, but... No, I think it worked completely. It works completely because it's not only... It's not about that. Well, it's not about... Well, it is... I mean, it's definitely about that, but it's more about the repercussions of that uh, Mm -hmm. decision to go to America. And also, he's putting us in the position of this character, Ailish. And I think that works because he's kind of putting us in Ailish's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, because we are getting thrown into this story, um, just as she is getting thrown into, uh, basically American life and Brooklyn. And what is it like to live in this, uh, it's not a halfway house, but basically a boarding house, mm-hmm. uh, with all these other, you single know, young ladies. single young ladies <laughs> who are immigrants themselves and are basically trying to figure out how to make life work in America. So I think I, I think that's maybe one of the most effective parts of the movie because you can feel that separation and that loneliness. And uh, there's one particular scene where uh, she, uh, after a few weeks of her being in America, she's just very, very depressed. Um, and uh, she finally gets this letter from her sister and she just completely breaks down uh, when she starts to read it. And it was really, like, it's obvious that there was going to be that scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it works, not only because of Saoirse's performance, but also because it seems so true to our experience with this movie, being thrown in. And by being thrown in, we couldn't help but connect it to our own personal lives. Um, and that's what I kind of think is most ingenious about this movie because it isn't about Irish immigrants. It's not even about immigration, really. It's mm-hmm. about home and leaving home. And I think Hornby's ability to kind of tap into that in a really direct way, um, I think not only does it help move the story along, but it, it helps us to better connect with these characters. Um, and let's talk about some of these characters because this movie's filled with a lot of great ones. Obviously, we have Ailish. But then we also have the priest, Father Flood, uh, who uh, is responsible for bringing her over here, played and by Jim Broadbent. We also have the wonderful Julie Walters, um, who plays the kind of boarding house matron. Matron, And then we also have uh, Donald Gleason, um, whose name we also recently learned how to pronounce <laughs> <laughs> properly, um, who plays, uh, I guess, this gentleman um who lives in her hometown in ireland and uh i I think we got to round out the cast with emery cohen here who plays tony um who's basically her american boyfriend and uh i just think across the board and you know we're leaving out you know some key supporting players here but i think across the board these performances are really great especially i think emery cohen's performance uh Mm -hmm. as tony because that's such a tricky role uh, because he has to walk a really fine line between this, uh, you know, this tough Brooklyn guy, you know, uh, who grew up, you know, middle class Italian, uh, you know, with three brothers, works as a plumber, having to help support his family. But then also he has to have this sweetness to him. I mean, I think when you see it, it's just undeniable. Right, because he could so easily come off as like this creep or somebody who's preying on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, newly immigrated, you know, young women or, uh, or impressionable, impressionable or... young women or something. But he just comes off as very charming. Well, I think it's worth noting too that 
he could have easily played off as a stereotype of right. an Italian Brooklyn living man. in Brooklyn in the fifties. Because there's a scene too where it's he, him, and his family, and they're eating. There's meatballs involved and spaghetti, and it doesn't. It didn't ever feel to me though like a caricature of an Italian family, which no. is good. No, and I think that I think a lot of that has to do with Hornby's screenplay, and a lot of it has to do with Crowley's direction here, uh, which is really uh, you know. He's just letting life play out. Mm -hmm. And it's grounded by these wonderful performances. I think Cohen's uh, chemistry with Ronan is really what makes this movie work. Oh, for sure. Because especially in the second half of the film, when she goes back to Ireland and uh, she, she gets involved with the Donald Gleeson character, you need to feel that tug back to the Tony character. Mm -hmm. um otherwise the movie just kind of falls apart you know you need to understand both why she wants to go back to ireland to visit and why it's hard for her to go there um and to leave brooklyn behind and to kind of understand you know exactly how her homeland and her home have changed and how brooklyn has changed her and i think a lot of that has to do with the performances here and i think across the board i think we can both agree they're very very solid very solid and i mean there was some points where it's kind of like i had to remind myself like oh no these are real people like you're not watching actual 1950s brooklyn play out on screen because there were just moments where i was like no this is totally real like this is happening and maybe that's just me being foolish romantic person but well, it's I a think very it, sweet, it, there's a very sweet relationship between the Ailish and Tony characters, and um, I, I mean, it's their first love, really, and I think there's something really romantic about that. Yeah, I think it's their first love. I think it's also um, that it's the right people at the right time. Mm -hmm. Like, these two, these two characters... Ailish and Tony, they came into each other's lives at exactly the right moment. Ailish, when she's kind of looking for a family and a reason to belong, really, mm -hmm. um, and to make a community and friends. And Tony, because he's, you know, he's a young guy, he's growing up. Um, he might feel, I think there's mention that, you know, some of his friends are getting married or whatever. And, um, he kind of wants to move out of the family house. Yeah, he wants to move out of the family house. He wants to settle down and have kids. So I think it is kind of that classic story of um, not only, you know, uh, this match made in heaven, so to speak, but that these people are meeting each other at exactly the right moment. Like if it had been three months earlier or three months later, this relationship might not have ever happened, which I think is so um, another really terrific thing about this movie is how maturely it deals with uh, romantic relationships and kind of their purpose in our lives and how they serve us and, you know, how they affect us. And another thing that just, I mean, it's kind of uh, art imitating life a bit. At the Q&A that we were um, fortunate to have seen after the screening we went to, uh, John Crowley mentioned that, you know, this is maybe very similar to our grandparents' own stories of either coming to America or, you know, meeting their spouse. And I think there's something just kind of, I don't know, romantic and reminiscent of kind of old America in this movie. And I think that's, I don't know, I just found it very sweet. I think... Yeah, there is that nostalgia factor. I don't know if it's like old America so much as like us reliving those parts of our lives that those characters are going through, like falling in love for the first time or like leaving home for the first time or something like that. Uh, because to me, the movie really does feel timeless. And that's not to say anything bad about the production design or anything, because I think this movie is impeccably decorated and set and costumed and everything. The technical elements are all there. But I think it, it really is kind of without a time in place, at least for me, um, it had me more reminiscing about uh, the specific personal moments as opposed to like, oh, I wish I was living in the 1950s. Oh, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. I'm just saying like there's, there's certain elements to um, 
the film, like, y you do see a bit of hostility t between, like, Italians and Irish uh, people living in Brooklyn at the time. So there's just certain elements that you get to see that aren't as common today, at least to my knowledge. But, um, or even just seeing, like, old New York, which in some cases hasn't changed at all. The streets look exactly the same. Right. Well, and and part of that is because it was filmed uh, in Canada. So. Oh, no, they did film. There was one scene they said they did film. There was a brownstone they, street, and that, it looks the exact same as it would have in the 1950s. Right, right. Um, but it is interesting that this movie... Uh, you know, is is set in New York and Ireland and is filmed uh, mostly in Ireland and Canada. Gotta so, get those tax credits. Yeah, you gotta get the tax credits. But they did film, they said, for a day or two in New York just to get those exteriors. But um, let's talk about, so we, so we went over her time in Brooklyn, but let's talk about, without spoiling anything for the audience, she does go back to Ireland. Um, and uh, For a visit. For a visit. To visit her mother, and um, it's a bit awkward, you know, because she's in this relationship with Tony. They've pronounced their love for each other. Yeah, yeah they're they're very much in love with each other, and um, her friends don't know that. Uh, they they don't know anything. All they know is that she's dressed up in these these fancier clothes. She uh, Ailish works at a department store in Brooklyn, so she's uh, you know she looks like uh, a movie star to them, is what they say. Uh, because everybody else in Ireland, you know, they're, they're making their own clothes or they're getting clothes that are from a pattern. Like they aren't like designer clothes. No. And I mean, and it's, it's not as if they're, they're not in a major city in Ireland either. It's a small village, I believe. Yeah. And it isn't, it, you know, this isn't like a rural area. It's more suburban, but no, like. No, but it's maybe not as hip as like. Right, as New York City. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not a cultural center of the world. Um yeah, and also the the town is going through economic hard times. Um so it's, you know, e even if there were those stores they might not be able to afford them. But yeah, so so she comes back and people are happy to have her back, especially her mother uh and her friends. So much so that they they want her to stay. They try to set her up with the uh, with the Donald Gleason character, uh, basically, and they try to say, "Here, here's a nice Irish boy, and you know, if you two end up liking each other, then you can get married, and then you'll just stay here." Um, well, and, it, and it's kind of like, "Oh, well, he his fiance just broke up with him, and he's inheriting this huge house, right. and there's all these things that you could have if you settle with him." And Right, and it's and this is in direct contradiction to what Ailish has been living with in Brooklyn, which is you know she's a working woman, she's making her own wage, um, you know uh, she's going to night classes because her ultimate goal is not to work in a department store but to become an accountant, um, mm -hmm. like her older sister, and um, it's you know she this is a person with goals and aspirations beyond just being a mother and a wife. Um, which are good goals and aspirations, but that's all you she can wants, be in Irish society yeah. at that point in time. And uh, especially if she were to marry someone wealthy, that would all that, you know, that's all that she would need to do. And so it's that it's that push and pull between her desires uh, and, you know, certainly a more difficult life in Brooklyn. Uh, it's not easy, but it's not, you know, it, it, she's not living in poverty necessarily, but it's it's hard, you know, you're working. Um, and, you know, this nice life in the country. But uh, there's definitely a little bit of tension because, at least speaking from my own personal experience, when you go back home, yeah, it's nice to be back home for a few days. But then when you're back home for a week or two or maybe more, you start to understand why you left in the first place. Um, you start to see the little things that maybe, oh, this is why, um, I'm not here anymore. Or, oh, maybe I've grown in this way and I no longer fit back at my home. Um, and I think that the Ailish character certainly experiences that firsthand. Jenny's smiling at me because yes, she, <laughs> she will always she will always want to go home. <laughs> I am obsessed with going home. <laughs> She's uh yes. Um <laughs> Jenny's not normal I, in that regard. Um, I, I have a wonderful dog living in Wisconsin and I am best friends with my mom, so <laughs> 
comma. What else could I say? <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, for the majority of us out there, um, I think Alicia's story connects with us in that particular way because there there are those there are those parts um, that that maturity you know that comes from uh, having to go out on your own. Um, and, you know, in the modern American experience, that's going to college for most people. And, uh, there, there is a certain amount of learning and growth that occurs during that period of time. Uh, and I think that's what makes this movie so special. I did want to bring up something that I found really interesting were these connections I was thinking about between this movie, Brooklyn, and an education, another Nick Hornby, uh, written movie. They're both coming of age stories. Uh, young women coming of age, uh, which is rare unto itself. But I think they tackle two different lessons about maturity and growth. So I guess a question for you is, as a young woman yourself, did it connect with you in that way? Or were you just connecting to these universal themes of love or whatever? Do you think that there's something that maybe, I don't know, like when I watch Stand By Me, for instance. Like, I feel sure, there's sure. something I get out of it that maybe uh, a female viewer might not. I mean, I think just watching this as a female viewer, I think there is just a bit more, because it is from the female perspective, and granted, I think anyone can relate to it watching it. There's just certain moments that she goes through on screen where I'm kind of like, oh, I've, I've felt that before, or... Um, I know exactly how she's feeling or what she's going through or like, oh, I've, I would never have thought to react to it that way or something. And um, I do think there's a bit of that connection. And I'm kind of glad you brought that up, actually, because I, I, I don't want to say there's not enough like female coming of age stories, but there's so many that men are able to relate to that you can point out through film history. And I think I'm, I'm very glad that this movie came along because... I think we need more stories like this. Well, and a question that goes off of that, you know, uh, I brought up an education. The common denominator between these two films is Nick Hornby. Mm -hmm. What is it about? And he just wrote Wild last year. He, he's so, just so fantastic at telling these female stories. And they're, they're strong women, too. It's not like they're weak. I mean, they might go through something that, you know, challenges them, but it's forcing them to come out even stronger. So what is it about his writing, do you think, that allows him, because obviously he doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't experienced the female experience firsthand. What is it about his writing? I mean, to me, I think it's <laughs> just this very, um, I think it's just this very straight humanity. Like he plays, he plays everything straight and to the point, and he treats everybody as if they're on this equal footing, mm -hmm. uh, even when the characters might not be in, you know, in the movie. There might be a power dynamic or structure in there, but he's giving every character a backstory. He's giving them a fair shake, and I think that that's something that uh, for any aspiring screenwriter or just you know any current screenwriter uh, that might be something that they might want to look into tackling a little bit more because I think Nick Hornby does a really great job of doing that. And that allows him to kind of write these stories about these experiences that might, that he might not necessarily have firsthand knowledge of. I agree. <laughs> I think it takes a certain uh, talent to be able to do that, especially he's not coming from that perspective necessarily, but he has this incredible understanding of it. Um, and there's a certain empathy to it as well. And I to see that translated out on screen, too, it's, I don't know, I just, I, I don't really know what it is that gave him this talent or this right. understanding, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I'm very glad that there's somebody out there who's telling stories that aren't, like you said, that aren't really being told that much. Uh, a male come and be... Every single movie. <laughs> and whenever anyone says coming of age, it's always a young boy coming right. of age. But it's honest, never a woman. Right. But honestly, every movie that comes out, you know, is a male coming of age story. It's a straight um, white male coming, coming of, of age, age story. story. And so um, to have anything different than that is really interesting. And then to be able to connect with that, whoever you are, um, is even better. So... I don't know about you, Jenny, but I would recommend this movie wholeheartedly. I think I already did uh, to my mom. Uh, it helps that, you know, she's Irish. Um, but um, 
yeah, I, I just think that this is a great movie to come out around Thanksgiving. We should mention that it opens nationwide this Friday, November 20th. Um, I think it's a great Thanksgiving movie because it really reminds us uh, not only what it is to be American, like that's a very surface level thing, but it also reminds us about our relationship to home and our relationship to what we think is important in our own lives in terms of personal well, really relationships. Like what to be thankful for being thankful of where you came from or being thankful to, or, you know, just being gracious that you have this understanding of where you were, where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we both would recommend this movie. Once again, it comes out this Friday nationwide. If it isn't already in your theaters now, uh, check it out. Uh, check and it out. Check it out. That's uh, John Crowley's Brooklyn, starring Saoirse Ronan and Donald Gleeson. Um, okay, so on to a completely different movie. Different, but we chose these two movies. We paired them together because we saw We some saw some similarities that we're going to get into. And that movie is Frederick Weissman's 40th documentary, The Man Has Made 40. Documentaries, not films. He's made more than 40 films. 40th documentary in Jackson Heights. Man's unstoppable. I have always said that Jackson Heights is the, the most diverse community in the whole world. Literally. We have 167 different languages spoken here. We are very, very proud of that diversity. Let's salute that, and let's all be proud of what we have accomplished. que Manhattan ya está muy lleno y la gente se está viniendo de Jackson Heights que no lo, no lo miraban antes ahora sí lo miran esa es auténtica aquí y eso el bit lo va a destruir TLC likes to use the word neighborhood so if you're a new student copy the word neighborhood in the backside please copy this neighborhood right now we're sitting in which neighborhood Jackson Heights Jackson Heights is a neighborhood Flushing is a neighborhood Astoria is a neighborhood. Sunnyside is a neighborhood. Yes? So if I ask you why do you want to be citizens of the United States, what do you say? convencimiento de que queremos una mejor vida. Nosotros hemos venido a dejar aquí nuestras vidas, nuestro sudor, para que esta nación siga adelante. Nos debemos ser orgullosos de nosotros mismos y de nuestro trabajo y de todos nuestros países. Así es que en eso tenemos que trabajar, compañeros. Okay, so in Jackson Heights, uh, this movie opened in limited release a few weeks ago in New York, uh, and uh, this week it's expanding to Boston, Seattle, and Toronto. It's already playing in D.C. Um, and a few other cities, so check it out. Um, you might have seen some coverage of this movie. It's been picking up some, some nationwide coverage because really this movie, I mean, it's about this, uh, this neighborhood in Queens called Jackson Heights. And uh, a big problem in New York and really most urban centers in America right now is uh, gentrification. And uh, even though the movie doesn't discuss it by name, it's basically the shifting of the neighborhood from one or a few groups of people to a different group of people who might be of a different uh, race or different socioeconomic level or both. Um, and so it's a movie that's kind of dealing with those changes that 
have really overtaken Manhattan, uh, large swaths of Brooklyn, uh, and it's really overtaking Queens at this point. Uh, and so the movie is very much about, um, if you haven't seen a Frederick Weissman movie, what he does so brilliantly is he is the ultimate verite fly-on-the-wall director. There are no title cards when you see somebody speaking, there are no talking heads. They aren't talking directly to the camera. He's capturing moments as they happen. He doesn't give you a little title card telling you who this person is and what or their even title really is. where they are. Where they are. Uh, there's no context, really, uh, for the conversation sometimes. Um, You're really just thrown right into the, the scene of what's going on. Right. And um, I guess that's... I guess the literal definition of a fly on the wall type thing, but it's, you really become immersed in Jackson Heights the minute this film starts. Right. Which is, uh, you know, a consistent theme throughout all of Weisman's work, which is really to look at institutions or groups and to really just examine them. Uh, and the way that you derive meaning from a Weisman movie, because he isn't doing uh, these obvious edits and these title cards and whatever, it's between the juxtaposition of his images. So you might go in this movie, for instance, uh, from uh, the scene of chickens getting slaughtered to uh, a gay pride parade. And oddly, I was telling Gavin this before recording, but it's weird because you you don't feel the transition between the two scenes, yet it... it you never notice, like, I guess I, that sounds bad. You don't notice when one scene goes from to the next, but at the same time, you don't feel that there was any sort of disruption or weird cut away. It just, there's a nice flow to it. And... Right. It isn't, it isn't, well, sometimes, I, I will say, sometimes it is jarring, but it's purposefully jarring. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're saying goes to the pacing in the film. Um, which, which we should preface, this is a... This is a three-hour... Three this is, yeah, it's a little over three hours, which uh, for some people might be uh, prohibitively long, but... It does not feel that way. But it does not feel that way, and I think that speaks to what Jenny's talking about, which is that these scenes flow one into the next, and uh, they're really engrossing, these moments that he captures. I mean, he captures... Uh, hundreds of hours of footage for each of his films and he cuts it down to you know whatever the running time is and so he's only giving you the necessary best stuff that he has and in this movie i think it's a lot of it um so i guess talking about this film is a bit difficult because it doesn't have a standard narrative it's really defined by specific scenes and set pieces and these characters that are recurring. I guess I guess the best way to go about describing what this movie is about would be, um, I mean, you have this neighborhood in Queens called Jackson Heights, and it's, to my understanding, is the most diverse neighborhood in the city, in New York City. I think in the country. If I mean, if not the world, because there are over 130 languages spoken Every within one square day. mile. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very, I've never, I knew going into this film that, you know, I'd heard like, oh, it's the most diverse neighborhood. But you don't, I don't think you actually understand that until you're watching the film and you're like, oh my gosh, it goes from one scene where people are, you know, I guess slaughtering chickens to going to this like gay pride fest to going to this like council meeting and it, it but it, it just the shifting dynamics it's I don't know it I just didn't really realize it until I was watching it on screen just what that meant right so I guess uh a good question to ask is what how can people view this in relation to Brooklyn like if they if, if if they were to spend a Saturday night and they were to be like okay let's watch these two movies uh, that Gavin and Jenny were talking about let's watch Brooklyn first and then we'll go see in Jackson Heights what are the connections that they might be able to expect I mean you you have the obvious connections the immigration uh, of Alish coming to 
Brooklyn, um, but then you also have this community of immigrants living in Queens, um, in Jackson Heights. And so, I mean, those are just the very obvious connections. But then you have the, just the normal everyday struggles that, you know, different groups or communities go through and live through every day. And you get to see that on screen different time periods. But I think both situations still are very relevant today. And obviously, In Jackson Heights was filmed only, I think, a year ago. So that's still very relevant because it was a year ago i mean it's to me it's really both films uh they're they're about a you know a lot of things but i think uh, a common thread between them is that they're really about what it means to be american um and obviously that definition changes you know uh in the 1950s when brooklyn is set being american is different than and the people who want to be american uh look different than the people in Jackson Heights. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, one of the most interesting scenes in the movie for me was a little bit early on. It's like this this study group uh, for people who are going to take the citizenship test. And uh, there's this uh, American lady who's who's kind of talking them through uh, some of the answers. And she asks this uh this woman who's wearing a hijab and she asked her um you know i suppose she she looked like she was from india but um she she asked her you know if you're asked in the exam why do you want to be an american what are you going to say right and the, the lady responds well i i want you know freedom of religion and i want you know freedom of speech and there was a little bit of pushback from the american woman who was like well okay but that you know that's the bill of rights but why do you want to become american you should say you want to become american because you want to be able to vote because that way the people who are giving you this test know that you understand what democracy is and so there's this there's this it's and i think the scene is so brilliant because wiseman just like lets us sit there with these two people and there's this clear tension between what this uh what this woman who wants to become a citizen Mm -hmm. uh why she came to this country and what she's being told to say to pass the citizenship test or what is seen as acceptable well and it's interesting too because i'm just thinking this now but we're watching it and as americans you know i'm just saying this generally but like you know, the perception is, oh, well, you need to be able to understand us if you want to become a citizen. But on the flip side, here, asking this woman this question, we're not trying to understand her. We're like, well, this is what you should say, because as Americans, this is what we want to hear, versus what you actually want. And what was so interesting about the scene is that those are legitimate things that she's listing that, you know, a lot of countries don't have a freedom of religion. They don't Mm -hmm. have freedom of speech. And those are two of the most important rights I could possibly think of. Um, I mean, that's what our country was founded on. Right. That's what the country was founded on. So for a lot of people, that is why they want to come to this country. So I think that, but that tension there between what is seen as an acceptable answer to a person who is already a citizen here, who has uh, lived here their entire life, you know, who was born an American citizen, and someone who is wanting to become a naturalized citizen. I think that tension is really apparent throughout most of the film, but particularly in that scene. I just wanted to point that one out in particular. That, that was a pretty powerful scene. I think that's definitely one that you walk away from the movie remembering. Right. And it's, and it's one of those scenes that really... Um, It benefits from Wiseman's approach, which is just sitting back, not getting involved in the scene, letting it play out. You feel the tension, and he's really giving the audience, he's telling the audience, you're the one who has to take from this whatever you're going to take from this. Mm -hmm. Right? So two different people, other than us, could have two completely different readings of the scene. But I I think that's what's so fascinating about this particular film. There's there's another great scene uh, related to, as, as long as we're on the topic of immigration, there's another great scene in the film when uh, this uh, this woman, uh, it's at, uh, this is at a community center that's uh, shown throughout the film as one of the consistent settings throughout the film. I believe it's called Stand Up NYC or um, something similar something to that. Like that yeah. But it's a, it's a community center basically for uh, immigrants to help them 
kind of, uh, you know, figure out how to live in America, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's, it's this meeting with all these other um, people who have come from South American countries or Mexico, and they're talking about their immigration experiences of themselves and their family members. And this one, and they're asked to share their experiences, and this one woman stands up, and she tells this incredible, crazy story about her daughter's trip across the border, across the Mexican border to the United States. She's without food and water for 14 days. Uh, She's literally lost in the desert because they call them coyotes, basically these these people who are hired to take people illegally across the border. Uh, These coyotes essentially abandoned them in the middle of the desert. And so she's with this other girl and they're trying to figure out how to, how to get into America while, uh, not knowing where they even are, not knowing where they are and without any food and water. And, uh, the story, it goes on for about eight to 10 minutes and it's just this woman talking, you know, there's a few shots of people listening, but it's, it's really just her telling the story and the story itself is so engrossing and so horrifying that it's like, you have to remind yourself while watching it, like, yeah, this is a film, but this is this woman's true story. It's not like it's some canned answer to this immigration question. And Right. And it's and it really challenges you because you're faced with really the implicit question of that scene is, why would anyone go through all that trouble to immigrate to this country? And mm-hmm. I think the movie answers that question, or at least tries to give us an answer to that question. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's completely difficult because I think, especially in today's political climate, you know, we like to demonize people uh, who come into this country. I mean, this is nothing new in the United States history, but we like to demonize people who are different, people who might come here illegally, who might not, you know, have the correct paperwork when they enter our borders. Um, and we never really stop to think, why they would go through all the trouble to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by giving those people a voice in this movie, Wiseman isn't like politicizing anything, but he's he, he's giving them a fair shake and he's saying, listen, if their lives are so terrible that they're willing to die to get in here, like, what does that say about our country? And what does that say about us if we choose not to help them? And especially that they're that they're finding these communities like Jackson Heights these exceptionally diverse communities that are basically built uh with immigrants i don't know i think it i think it's um it's very hard not to not to get this sense of uh uplift after seeing this movie i think there's something a bit poetic too about these different groups within the Jackson Heights community coming together for I don't, I mean, there's different events that occur throughout the film, but there's, like, a parade um, that occurs later on in the film. A gay pride parade. A gay pride parade, and there's also, there's a neighborhood LGBT march um, about halfway through the film as well. Uh, But you watch these different groups come together, and, I mean, you realize, I don't know, I, I just felt like watching it myself, you see really what people think of as America as a melting pot, like, in this neighborhood. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but, like, it's just all these groups that come together, and they're coexisting together, and they don't want that special community to be ruined by, you know, this business improvement district that this topic comes up throughout the film, and... I actually don't know what the current status of that is today, but that it's a threat to their community, and they don't want their community to fall apart. And it, it, you begin to realize the effects that some um, societal shifts take on communities by watching this film. Yeah, and I think there's one scene in particular that is really... There's this one guy who, uh, he's basically at a community-leading uh, community meeting, leading it, he's talking about this business improvement district. Uh, and basically this business improvement district, uh, it's kind of this through line throughout the movie, but they're basically trying to harass small business owners into uh, getting them 
into paying them these monthly fees to like help keep the street safe or to clean up the neighborhoods a little bit. So that way it makes the real estate a little bit more um, uh, impressive to buyers. Like, you know, buyers would want to buy it more. And when we say cleaning up the streets, yeah, it's cleaning up trash, but then something that isn't so obvious it's cleaning up the street vendors and making sure they're just not there anymore right and it's cleaning up i mean let's face it it's cleaning up the homeless it's cleaning up um you know the people who who don't belong in the eyes of these uh business district things and they they kind of put it under this euphemism of uh oh we're trying to uh clean up the neighborhood um we're trying to make it safe And there was never a perception before that they thought their neighborhood was unsafe, which it's interesting when someone else comes in and says, well, we want to make your neighborhood safe. Don't you want that? And they're kind of like, uh, yeah, (laughs) I didn't know it it wasn't safe. (laughs) Yeah, we thought it was safe to begin with. I think that's definitely a really interesting um, aspect to it. But basically the scene I was referring to, uh, this guy basically uh, you know, he stands up and he he explains how communities are dismantled through gentrification. And again, the word gentrification is never used in this film. Not once. Not once. I mean, but, and you realize, too, you can continue on with the scene in a second, but you realize they don't use the word, but they do, they use all these descriptions. And you're sitting there kind it's of going... It's euphemisms. Yeah, and you're going, oh, that's gentrification. It, it, like, the, the first minute I realized that, I was like, oh my god. Like, the way they describe it without actually saying it, I think that it definitely just, like, hits you so much more. Right. And you and you kind of understand, um, through how this guy explains it, exactly how insidious it is and how innocently it can start off. And then, you know, as real estate prices, you know, rise, to make a long story short, you know, that kind of kicks out people because they're unable to afford to renew their leases. And so where are they going to live after that? Uh, Jackson Heights is one of the last affordable places in Queens. Um, So where are they going to move to after Queens becomes unaffordable? And uh, for anybody unfamiliar with uh, kind of the layout of the geographic layout of New York, Jackson Heights is about uh, a 20, 25 minute ride away from Times Square. From Midtown Manhattan. From Midtown Manhattan, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes it a very valuable piece of area uh, for developers because there are a lot of people who are coming to live in New York uh, who want a shorter commute. And for people who aren't city dwellers, 20 to 25 minutes is not a bad commute. No, that's a a wonderful (laughs) commute. I don't know. I mean, we could talk about this film for hours, obviously, but I, I think what's most impressive about it is its ability to kind of um, to see these through lines throughout the whole movie. So you have you have this um, business improvement district through line. You have this uh, immigration through line. You have this gay rights through line, which we haven't even gotten to. But well, and it's really an LGBT through line as well, right? Exactly, um, because Jackson Heights is uh, it was one of the first you know, real communities in New York to really embrace the LGBT community. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of become a safe haven for all these different communities. And it's, it's really, in many ways, it's, it's not a utopia, but it's a great example of how people can learn to coexist. Mm-hmm. And I think what was so inspiring to me about this movie is that if you look anywhere else in the world, like you look to the Middle East, you look to, you know, the terrible things that are going on everywhere in the world right now. And it really boils down to groups of people who cannot live together. They they can't see the similarities. They can only see the differences. And uh, the fact that in this country, at least in this neighborhood, this one neighborhood, Jackson mm-hmm. Heights, that people who speak over 130 languages who come from just as many countries are able to coexist peacefully together in, in such tight quarters is just, I mean, that's, I mean, that to me is what people say when they talk about the American dream and they talk about the immigrant story and they talk about whatever. So when I see Brooklyn, 
the movie Brooklyn, not the, <laughs> not the borough. But when I see Brooklyn and I see uh, the Irish community and the Italian community coexisting, you know, yes, there's tension, but they're coexisting and they're living together. I mean, that's kind of what America's about. And I think this movie's so brilliant because it's it's showing us that in real time with real people. And I guess I just haven't seen that before in a documentary. No, and I mean, it kind of... You watch this, and it's it's. I think it's a pretty uplifting film, but at the same time, I felt a little sad because, like, you see this, and it's like, oh, well, this is what America should be. Like, all of America should just be this exactly. way because this is what, you know, everyone says that this is what America is, but it's it's not. And you see Jackson Heights, and you're like, well, why, why can't it be this way? Like, look at how beautifully they're all coexisting together, and... I just, in a way, it's uplifting, but it's it's a little bittersweet because you're like, it's such a great place, but here, why can't our whole country be this way? And they're trying to kind of destroy this community, and it's very, there's a lot of emotions that go into it, you guys. Yeah, and again, it isn't it isn't a utopia. Like, there are, you know, there's, there's definite frictions that are shown in this community, and Wiseman mm-hmm. doesn't pull any punches in that regard, but, you know, I think that... What we're seeing here is people who are working towards a common goal, and they're setting aside their differences to do that. And I think, you know, that says something about our society that, you know, a movie about that kind of makes us a bit emotional um, and nostalgic because it doesn't seem like we can do that in at least today's political climate. So, Jenny, this was your first Frederick Weissman movie. It was. Um, Would you recommend it? I would. I I mean, I have to say, I'm still kind of easing my way into the documentary genre. It's not my most comfortable genre, but um, with my first Frederick Wiseman film, it was long, time-wise, but it did not feel long. And I want everyone else who may be a little wary of documentaries to know that, because it can be a little scary when you see a three-hour, eight-minute runtime. Um, but I mean, when the content is so compelling, it, it's, it's hard to say like, oh no, I don't want to watch that because I, I just, I really have to recommend this because it's, it's the content within it, but also Wiseman's storytelling. I think it's just impeccable because it, it's weird because, you know, he, he doesn't, there's no title cards. There's no people talking directly at the camera, as Gavin said earlier. But at the same time, he definitely has this... He's definitely shaping it, but not so much that he's telling you to think one way or the other about something. And I think that that's very, that's very unique, and that's a talent that not many people either possess or use. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Frederick Wiseman, as somebody who's... A, a big documentary buff, uh, and that's kind of my go-to genre at night if I want to see a movie. Uh, I go see a documentary. But, um, I mean, I think that in Jackson Heights, if you haven't seen a Frederick Weissman movie, this is the perfect one to start mm-hmm. with. Start um, with his number 40. Start with number 40. It's a nice even number. But also, as Jenny was saying, yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a time commitment, um, but it's it's worth it. You know, Goodfellas is also a time commitment, but it's worth it. It's it's slightly shorter than Titanic. So if you can make it through Titanic, you can make it through exactly. Jackson Heights. Exactly. <laughs> and as Jenny was saying, it's it's not it's not some pretentious art film. Mm-mm. This is this is a documentary and it's about real people being able to tell their stories. You know, we just we just got out of seeing a pretentious art, film, documentary, whatever. Um, We we won't even talk about it. But um, this is not that movie, right? This is a movie that is made for people and that is made to be enjoyed. And I hope so many people uh, go out and see this movie. Uh, It's, again, like we said at the top, it's going to be coming to Boston, Seattle, and Toronto this week with more cities to follow uh, nationwide. It's going to be a slower rollout on this movie, but it will hopefully get to your city. And uh, you can also look for it on PBS sometime next year. And with that, that was Frederick Wiseman's 40th documentary. 40. Woo! 40 documentaries um, in Jackson Heights. Go check it out if it comes to a city near you. And also, uh, you know, if you aren't near a major metropolitan area, uh, it, it will be on PBS 
sometime next year. So, Jenny, uh, next week, uh, I'm really excited. I think we got a great episode Mm -hmm. coming up, uh, kind of uh, going back to um, uh, a new release and then uh, a classic film. Uh, Next Tuesday, we're going to be talking about Todd Haynes' new film, Carol, starring Rooney Mara and uh, Kate Blanchett, the great queen of everything, Kate Blanchett. Uh, and then uh, we're going to be coupling that with uh, Abdelatif Kashish's Blue is the Warmest Color. I hope I said that director's name right. <laughs> um, that That's the 2013 Palme d'Or winner. And uh, if you haven't heard about that movie, uh, just do a Google search and uh, you will realize that, yes, you probably have heard of that movie. Um, And uh, I believe that's available free to stream on Netflix. Carol is going to be coming out in limited release this Friday. So check it out. Watch those movies with us and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. And if you have any ideas or you have questions for us that we can maybe address on the next show, feel free to tweet us at stillnotrated. Shoot us an email at this podcast is not yet rated at gmail.com. Send us a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash this podcast is not yet rated, or read our blog at this podcast is not yet rated.com. And I guess with that, I'm Jenny Leffler. And I'm Gavin Briscoe, and this podcast is not yet rated. Adieu, auf Wiedersehen, Gesundheit, Farewell.